Did you know that Catholics and Protestants use different Bibles? They do. Uh, they share many of the same books. The Bibles are largely the same. But Protestants omit seven books. Okay. Uh, they call these books the apocryphal books. And the Catholics call these uh, books the Protestants omit the deuterocanonical books. Now, the issue of books in the Bible has to do with the issue of canonicity. And the issue of canonicity has to do with to what extent certain books represent true divine revelation? Which books actually represent the mind of God and have divine authority? Well, this podcast will be about how the attribution of divine authority is very different for both Catholics and Protestants. And I will raise some concerns with the Protestant manner of determining biblical authority. Okay, the issue is, how do you know which books actually belong in the Bible? We live in a world where many people claim to represent God and to be speaking prophetically on his behalf. How is anyone supposed to sort through all these different accounts and come up with a set of books that has trustworthy divine revelation? Well, for Calvin, uh, a great Protestant thinker, John Calvin, the only proper source is God himself, not a human authority. So we go directly to the source and bypass a human authority. Okay, but the problem is that Many people think they understand what God wants in this direct way and they end up in disagreement with two parties or more parties thinking that their interpretation comes from their direct experience of God in prayer or they end up committing crimes because we hear these stories of individuals who claim to have private revelation they have bypassed the human authority and they end up doing horrible things. And they have maybe a mental illness or they're communing with some other kind of God, a demon. So Calvin wants to bypass the human authority of the church. Uh, he considers this just a man-made entity. But the fact is that 
there was considerable disagreement over forming the canon, even among the greatest of the church fathers. And to resolve this disagreement, there had to be a pronouncement of the church. So the church had to make a final determination to end the disagreement. Otherwise, you would have a permanently fractured Christianity, which is what you have in the world of Protestantism, with all the many thousands and tens of thousands of different sects that claim to have direct access to God, but come up with different accounts. So if we're going directly to God, he's not being very clear. So there was a lot of dispute about what books belonged in the Bible. There are books that are about God and have a mystical meaning, but they were rejected ultimately. Uh, in the 300s AD, we have St. Athanasius identifying 27 books of the New Testament. He, I'm speaking of Athanasius, had a lower opinion of the deuterocanonical books, but did not remove them from the Bible. So he was kind of maybe a little bit skeptical or found them to be of lesser value, but they were part of the Bible for him. Uh, so this, these books are Baruch, Wisdom, Sirach, Judith, Tobit, and Susanna. All right, so these are the so-called uh, Apocrypha, if you're a Protestant, or they're the Deuterocanonical Deuter books, if you are a Catholic. Catholics have 73 books. The Protestants have, unfortunately, 66. Uh, so James, who has a letter in the, in the New Testament, wasn't quoted by Christians up until 350 AD. So this shows that there was some uncertainty. There was a process whereby certain books were gradually incorporated through debates and, and prayer and, and um, you know, uh, councils that established which books belong in the Bible. Um, Erigen, a great church father, thought they, the Acts of Paul should be in the Bible, a book that I'd never heard of, but apparently has some content about what Paul had done. Uh, the Shepherd of Hermas was the strange allegory that some thought was canonical, um, but others thought it wasn't, and over time it was determined that it was not canonical. So there are many, many disagreements. This is just the tip of the iceberg. And to get any kind of unity and have to have some kind of unified faith, there had to be a declaration of canonicity. Because each of these people were under the impression that they were following the will of God, but they had different understandings of what books belonged and which books did not belong. This shows, this disagreement shows that the biblical books are not self-attesting. Okay, just as they are not perspicacious. These are Protestant doctrines. Uh, the self-attestation, 
of Scripture, where a biblical book is just patently revelatory of the mind of God. A true believer can detect it immediately without some kind of human or institutional confirmation. And the meaning is perspicacious or clear. How could this be true if there's such widespread disagreement? But Calvin thought that a canonical status is self-evident. Just like we can distinguish self-evidently sweetness from bitterness or white from black. We can just pick up immediately through our individual perception and our individual spiritual insight which books belong to the Bible and which books do not. So Protestant will cite John 10, 27, where we are told that my sheep know my voice and they follow me. So the true Christian knows the voice of God and can determine it and discriminate it from, from false voices. All right, so this is the idea of the self-attestation of scripture. You read a book from the Bible and you know it's from God just because you have this innate sense as a Christian of what is from God and what is not from God. You do not need a uh, church. You do not need Rome or the Vatican to tell you what is and what is not part of the Bible. But actual church history shows that the issue of canonicity is not revealed in this instantaneous manner of self-attestation. God works slowly through the church, through people meditating upon this, through, through people struggling with it, talking amongst themselves. That's how canonicity is established because there's this disagreement. Well, I think these books are part of the Bible. And Origen thinks that these books are part of the Bible. And Tertullian thinks differently. Okay, and this is how the canon is established, you know, 400 years or so after the coming of Christ. Uh, For the Protestant, an individual can replace the church's authority. An individual by himself or by herself can look at the Bible and determine that certain books are canonical. And it's even kind of, I mean, they, there's a claim that they're purer and more in touch with God because they bypass the human institution of the church. But they're also giving a lot of authority to just the private individual. Um, you know, the fact is that I don't think that God communicates with human beings in this direct way. We don't like call God on the phone. We don't have direct conversations with God. God works in a subtle manner through a human institution, through struggle and argument and disagreement and a coming to a consensus which itself is a kind of miracle that you know you know a consensus could be formed from all these egotistical and headstrong brilliant thinkers of the early church 
um, does God just appear to individuals and say, these are my books? It seems kind of a fatuous way of thinking of, of God. I mean, that does happen now and then. The Bible will have these extraordinary experiences, but they're, they're extraordinary where there's a direct appearance. Um, you know, typically God is in the background, kind of guiding the intellect, you know, working with people as they talk amongst themselves in, you know, a, a normal way. So uh, Calvin is worried about this tyranny of the church uh, where human authority is uh, usurping the prerogative to tell us what's in the Bible and kind of taking on this supernatural power where this human authority can say what is true and what is false in terms of faith and morals. Um, and it's a tyrannical organization that claims for itself these incredible powers to bind and to loose in terms of divine truth. But what is he doing? He's giving the individual, not just not just a, 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 a prestigious body, a, a private individual, any Joe Schmo, opening the Bible and saying, yep, this is the word of God. I can just tell. So the individual is a, a their own private church, and this this is even you know more audacious, giving more power to uh, to a person. Uh, so Calvin thinks that we can see almost uh, the divine image stamped on Scripture. That's how obvious it is. That's how patent it is. As if there were some kind of divine stamp visible. Um, but then, why the disagreement? If these stamps are so clear, why would there be such disagreement about what belongs in the Bible? The fact is that we're not infallible in how we receive and interpret revelation. Uh, we could go into prayer by ourselves, distance ourselves from this institution, and we... Uh, misinterpret it we get something that's you know from ourself from our own head from our own psychological biases and we uh or we encounter some kind of malevolent spirit and you know we see this in these cults where people you know commit suicide because they think that the world is ending and it doesn't end when the prophet so-called says it will uh the Branch Davidians or, you know, the Halibop Comet, uh, you know, whatever it was, um, these strange cults where you get these spurious uh, people claiming to be the mouthpiece of God, All right, You know, we're fallible. Uh, the Mormons think that you can feel a burning in the bosom, just the spiritual intuition that tells you for sure that you're hearing God, and you can do it in a way that's detached from this governing institution, which guides people and sets parameters. And so to me, this is very dangerous to let people just think when you feel that burning in the bosom, 
you're going to know for sure that you're communing with God. It's like a Quaker spirituality where uh, you're supposed to just commune with yourself and feel this interior prompting. Um, you know, we're fallible. So you may think that you're experiencing a burning in the bosom from God, but it could just be your lust. It could just be, I mean, I myself have had these experiences where I think something is from God, but it's really not. Or maybe it was, but I mean, we're, we're fallible. We need, it really helps to have a, a wise institution built up through centuries of prayer and debate. Okay, so the Protestants think that the Old Testament is um, comes directly from the Jews, and but the Catholic Church adds some elements that are special to Christianity. They have a special edition um, from uh, from their own history, not just exclusively from the Jews. Uh, and. We see the problems of sola scriptura. Okay, so this is a slightly different topic, but similar. Because again, the idea is the individual is directly relating to God apart from an institution. So you read the Bible and you come up with your own interpretation. You don't let any human interfere but what happens is that this ends up in great chaos. Okay, so you have someone like Father Martin, a Jesuit priest, who's quite heterodox. He thinks that, well, the Bible condones slavery and therefore we shouldn't accept it um, on the issue of homosexuality. And some Protestants say that we should interpret the Bible's teaching on homosexuality, where they're the literal meaning of the words condemn the act, not the person, but the act of homosexuality, and read it in light of the love of Jesus. Okay, to build a more inclusive church. Okay, so we get these disputes um, and these disputes are going to be incorrigible if the individual is the only authority, because scripture is not perspicacious. You can really use it to justify anything. All right, but solo scriptura, scripture alone, means that you are detaching from, uh, a guiding institution. So how do you resolve a dispute? Do you use your reason? Well, people reason differently. People have different conclusions. They have foibles and, and fallacies in their reasoning. People, in the end, are going to see what they want to see and not see what they don't want to see. We have biases and prejudices that shape the way we interpret the Bible. Okay? And so there's a need for this guiding body, again, of solid 
wisdom built up over the centuries to keep in check this claim of an individual which could very well be impetuous to know what God wants to read a chapter or even just a verse of scripture and conclude that they know exactly what God wants okay so there was a time when millions of Protestants used the Bible to support slavery so they thought they had a direct relationship to God they found some verses in the Bible which could have come from the biblical author's culture where not every word is literally from God it's not like God dictated the Bible it was written by a human being and there's truth embedded in there but not dictated by God okay so um, again God does not work typically in this direct dramatic fashion where he is speaking to us like another human being or the divine divinely inspired author is like <laughs> a dicta a, a taking dictation from him no it's just guiding the mind of the author and the author is going to include some of his cultural background which might include the acceptance of slavery and so a protestant who's using solo scriptura would just be able to find verses that uphold their practice of slavery uh, whereas the catholic church uh, as early as 1435 condemned slavery it was repeated insistence that it was wrong and so the guidance of the institution helped people to reform their biases and ultimately protects divine truth from whatever fashions of the age happen to be prevalent because if it's the individual by himself or by herself just encountering God or claiming to claiming to encounter God in this private revelation they're going to be molded by the culture Okay, this is someone who is going to be beholden to what people around him or her are pushing him or her to do. And so we have this sexual revolution where a lot of restrictions on sexuality were taken away in the 60s, okay, for better or for worse. Okay, a lot has changed, including contraception, including uh divorce including premarital sex cohabitation all these things getting more accepted whereas in the past just a few decades ago they were frowned upon they were much rarer families were intact with a mother and a father so if you have the method of solo scriptura you can't really mount a coherent defense against this kind of opening of the floodgates okay you can't put together a coherent defense because the next guy or the next gal could simply find a verse in scripture that seems to ratify 
what they think God wants. And really, it's just a valorization of their own prejudices and their own uh, obscure biases. Okay, so Sola Scriptura is quite dangerous. It opens the way to relativism. It opens the way to moral chaos. And this idea of Sola Scriptura is also similar to this idea of a self attesting or self-validating canon where we just know for sure that certain books belong in the Bible and we have 66 66 of them um, when in fact there are 73 and we didn't know this through self-attestation or some kind of direct uh, stamp put there by God, an imprimatur put there by God. We knew it through prayerful meditation and debate under the guidance of the Holy Spirit, people working together over time, not this instantaneous moment of uh, a light bulb going off and showing you that, yes, this is from God. All right, so this is Dan Del Monte, a philosopher and writer in Philadelphia. And this has been another episode of CultureCast. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you tune in again for the next one.